Hi, this is Mike Brissell, voice of Living with the Land and the Tomorrowland Transit Authority People Mover. We invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy your Grand Circle Tour of Tomorrowland with the Mickey Dudes Podcast. Ohana means family. Family and Mickey Dude Podcast means nobody gets left behind. Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor. It's the Mickey Dudes Podcast. Here's your master of ceremonies, Wazowski. Hello, humans! Hello, humans, and welcome to a special episode of the Mickey Dudes Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Koch, and tonight I'm kind of flying solo because I have none of my rotating Mickey Dude commentators because... We're actually recording this on a night that we normally don't record, and I had absolutely nobody available. I wanted to get a mediator. Jeff was going to do it, but last minute his air conditioner broke, so we're going to have to just improvise with this one. But this was an important episode to get out because I have a special guest that I actually got to meet in Disney's Animal Kingdom at a really amazing event that uh, we're going to share. We're going to share a couple stories from tonight. Think you all will be uh, enjoying what we have to say. So I'd like to uh, introduce my special guest, Mr. Aaron Vetter. Hey, you know what? There's another name you might know me by, Star Lord. <laughs> you know, Star Lord, man, legendary outlaw. Anybody? You don't forget this. Thanks for having me on. My name's Aaron, and uh, yeah, it was great. We met at uh, Animal Kingdom. We met actually at a Tiffin's talk with Joe Rody. Yes. And, and we are it was def- one of the most fascinating experiences I've ever been a part of. Me too. It was, and definitely one of those that I really like to uh, be able to uh, rub in the face of all of my uh, other uh, seven co-hosts that they were there and I, I was there and they weren't. Although, Absolutely. Uh, although my uh, co-host Chuck did meet him in the store a couple of hours beforehand while I was taking the Rhino tour. So before we actually get into that, Aaron, would you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your love for Disney and all that information, how you became such a fan of Walt Disney Parks? <laughs> Who are you? Absolutely. You know, I've grown up in the central Orlando Florida as a whole area my whole life I've been here about 25 years growing up I came to Disney a lot and then about two and a half years ago I got a bad bad car accident that had sidelined me for most of my active life but one of the few things that my girlfriend and I were able to continue doing was come to Disney because there's such a plethora of different things that you can do whether you're able to ride roller coasters and get into thrill rides or you're just looking to be separated from the real world enjoy some shows enjoy meeting characters and just the ambiance of it so we had picked up the passes and i really i fell in love with the place all over again because i got to see it from a completely different side and since then i've been able to recover and experience everything else disney has to offer but i really I got to see it from a much more slowed down adult point of view. 
and I would never change or trade that for anything else in the world. That is absolutely awesome. Well, we're very happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Thanks. And before we get into our uh, topic, let's have a word from our sponsors. Who has the largest selections of DVC resale listings and is the number one DVC reseller in the world? Who has 90% of their listings sell within 30 days with no upfront fees? Who has 95 years of combined Disney Vacation Club experience and has been selling DVC since 1993? Who has over $360 million in sales of DVC? The answer, my friends, is the same for every single question. It's DVC resale market. If you're in the market for buying Disney Vacation Club or have any questions about DVC, then look no further than DVC Resale Market. Nick, Kevin, and the whole team will do their very best to get you exactly what you need and answer any questions that you might have. Take a look at their website for some great information, their latest listings, or just some FAQs. We would like to thank DVC Resale Market for being part of our team, and now it's your turn. Let them be part of your team when buying DVC. Check them out at DVC Resale Market. Com. Whether it's the first sip of French roast at your Disney resort or the grand finale of a signature dining experience at a restaurant like Le Cellier, Chico, or the California Grill, Joffrey's coffees make Disney memories more magical. Why not savor that Disney vacation just a little bit longer while enjoying a cup of Joffrey's in the comfort of your own home? Visit Joffrey's, the official coffee and tea company of Disney, online today at joffreys.com joffreys coffee and tea a flavor for every disney memory well as aaron said we met at tiffin's restaurant which if uh you've listened to the show in the last like year or so you always you know that i am always gushing about how much i love this restaurant and it's the best restaurant on property so when all of a sudden our friend uh, the disney dude nick room posted a uh, screenshot of one of joe roadie's uh, tweets in the uh, disney magic hour group saying that he was going to be preparing at tiffin's i was uh preparing for my trip and it happened to be my birthday that week and i'm thinking to myself you know what i really don't spend that much money on myself on anything frivolous so i'm gonna drop the what was it like 250 or something yeah it worked out to be about 250 dollars once they factored in the gratuity and the tax of everything which is still which, a, yeah really great re- deal absolutely it was worth every penny <laughs> we're gonna go we're gonna go through the menu too at one point uh, during this but you got a full, what was it like a four, four or five course meal, and Joe Rody spoke. It was five me. courses. Yeah, Joe Rody spoke, and everything was paired with a different wine. So you were getting drinks, food, appetizer, entree, dessert. Everything was taken care of. They did it in the back room of Tiffin's, uh, off to the side, off to the uh, left side of the Nomad Lounge, <laughs> which. Uh, I had eaten in that room beforehand, and it was the perfect location for it because it's aside from the rest of the restaurant. So it was just our our group, Joe Rody, a uh, PowerPoint projector, and 
every now and then at each course he would invite out the uh, the chef and the sommelier to talk about the, what was in front of you and the wine pairing. And that's actually how I met Aaron because uh, we were on this, we were seated at the same table next to each other and so during the during the meal when he when he would give us some time to eat, we got to talking. We both were huge. We both are huge Disney fans, and this was just we both were totally geeking out with having Joe Rody basically not even uh, five feet in front of us because we were directly right in front, and he was just standing in front of our table the entire time. So it became one of these things that just it was like, okay, I need to talk about this on the podcast. I asked him to come on to uh, relay the experience too. Yeah, and I think honestly, like you were saying, one of the coolest parts was how close the entire time he was to us. The entire presentation was given right in front of our table. And I mean, in all honesty, the man is one of the most captivating people on the planet. So to be that close to him, my head was on swivel just following him around the yep, room listening to every word that came out of his mouth because it's just so captivating. Now when you were online to check in, did you see his did you see him kind of hiding off in the corner and cuz when you walked into the room, he was off to the side and he was welcoming everybody, shaking your hand as you were walking in and I had caught a I had caught a glimpse of him getting into position there and it was I was getting chills and just like I was so nervous that I wouldn't be able to talk when when he fin- when I finally walked in and he shook my hand. Oh, absolutely! I feel like I think I was the last person to actually check in, if not one of the very last. So, and I was one of the, the few single people there, as were you. So, I got up and the group in front of me all went to get seated together. So I'm standing there by myself with Joe Rody, and I had seen him like three minutes before when I was in the line and gasped to myself and was you know thinking what am I going to say am I going to make a fool out of myself am I going to trip over my words of course I am there's nothing I can say that's going to impress this man he's seen everything and as soon as I got up to him I just I felt like I was speechless I felt like I was a kid again and it's almost like the first time you saw Mickey Mouse exactly I, I shook his hand and I said hi I'm so excited to meet you. My name's Aaron. You're you're Joe Rody. I know who you are. Of course, I know who you are. And I was, I, I'm honestly getting chills just remembering it, reliving it because it was the, the they say don't meet your heroes. That's not true with Joe Rody. I... Joe Rody is someone that is everything that you picture him to be everything that you build him up to be in your mind he is and he's so humble about it yes i totally agree with that and i'm also secure enough in my masculinity to admit to our listeners that when i was online and i saw him i got all choked up and had tears in my eyes so did i you're not alone in that you are not alone at all i mean it's a childhood hero i i remember watching the travel channel specials when i was a kid that had him on it and just being, I remembered him as the guy with the earrings, yeah. right? That's that's what stood out to me. And growing up, I've 
I've wanted to get into theme park design and he has been the key inspiration behind it every step of the way. I've always looked up and said, I want to be him when I grow up. And just being in his presence did not do anything besides reinforce that desire. I still get that way whenever I meet Mickey Mouse. And it was basically this, it was on the same par as that. And, uh, just for our listeners, uh, the, most of our listeners will appreciate this. Uh, for our for our listeners who happen to be uh, part of uh, Three Sheets Nation, for our friends over at the Three Sheets to the Mouse podcast and their wonderful T-shirt shop, the Mel- Magical Meltdown. As I was preparing to go that day, I'm like, hmm, should I wear the should I wear the Joe Rody earring T-shirt with the Ro- Joe's face on it with the earring? I'm like, no, that's gonna that's gonna be too uh, freaky. Then I'm like, hmm, maybe I should not wear the Disco Yeti shirt. So they did kind of cross my mind. I own both of them. Uh, if you haven't uh, seen them, head over to the Magical Meltdown. They're still uh, they're still up in the T-shirt shop. But uh, let's get back to the actual uh, let's get back to the actual event. So he started us off with a uh, very weird cocktail that was supposed to uh, emulate fermented mare milk from i believe it was i believe it was from uh his experience in uh mongolia yeah yeah that's um apparently it's not just in mongolia but it's in a lot of that that general region and he had spoke about how as much of his journey was in mongolia he spent time in like kazakhstan and such all in that that overall region and apparently yeah the way he put it was it's very much a you go to a ceremony you're not quite sure what's going on but all of a sudden they hand you this glass of fermented mare's milk and you're going to drink it because you're not going to offend anybody and that's how it's going to go and you commit to it and the whole the whole concept behind it was you're going to commit to this so that you can get into the right frame of mind moving forward that way you can open yourself up to try new foods and try new experiences that are not part of the normal everyday construct that we deal with so i felt like that was an amazing way to start it off but yeah it's straight out of mongolia and granted we didn't have fermented mare's milk as it was it was like you said emulating but even still i've never had a cocktail before or since that that I, I mean, could even compare it to. I mean, as you and, drank and this, it was it, it was warm and it was fuzzy. It was it was was it good? Yeah. I, I'm I'm not gonna say for any of for any of our listeners who hear me totally drilling uh, Tony's Town Square and talking about how the gelato is fuzzy. It's basically like the fuzzy. It's like the fuzzy gelato over there. It just yeah. It uh. Packed a fuzzy's punch. the best way I would put it. Packed a punch, yeah, and um. It did exactly what he wanted it to do, though. It set the tone of we're going to move forward with trying things and just give it everything you have. And the next thing that he had said was actually a phrase that came from Mongolia from the people that he had spent time with, which was, if you're afraid, don't go. But if you go, don't be afraid. And just thinking about how simplicity or how simply he put that um it makes so much sense if you're not going to commit to something don't do it 
But if you're going to do it, commit to it. Put everything you have into it. Don't don't hold back. And I think if you're going to try something new in your life, that's exactly what you need to do. And in order to open us up to the experiences we had, he knew exactly what he was doing with that. And it was you might have a not, key to the... You might not have heard me because I kept... I said it under my breath when I drank it. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to like... I didn't... Obviously, I... Who am I to who am I to uh, make a comment at that point? But uh, as I drank mine uh, under my breath, I said Sivako. Yes, yes. I didn't I didn't catch that, but I definitely same uh, same approach to it. You know, Sivako. Let's go with it. Let's yeah. just commit. Rise to the challenge. I'm in. Yes. yes, rise to it. <laughs> and then and, after, uh, go on. shall we? What we'll do is we'll go through and um, he uh, he broke up the talk with um, to three regions. So he started talking. He started with his uh, experiences in Bali. Then he moved to Mongolia, and finally he finished off with South Africa. And those mm-hmm. three countries are pretty much the um, I, I guess they're the uh, archetype for. Uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom as we know it today. There is uh, evidence of all of those countries all throughout the park. Absolutely. And what we'll do is we'll just go we'll just go through what the uh, what the appetizers were first. So the Sounds first good. thing that came out was a. Uh, a, a small serving of three different appetizers. You had a Cape May chicken frittata with sweet chili, a, bol- a bolognese fried noodle, shrimp, and peanut sauce, and and then third was actually the wine. It was yes. the demi sac that came. With yes, it. it was a demi sac wine that came through with it. Yes. And that's when he started telling. That's when he started telling his stories. So, uh, one of the things that stuck out with uh, me was uh, all of these various different festivals that he was in, and he talked about how it is to work for him. And Aaron, you want to elaborate on that as far as uh, what it's like to go on an expedition with Joe Rody? So one of the the ways that he put it was he looked at all of us and he looked at our plates and he looked at the way that we were being treated which was very very much hospitality oriented he wanted us to feel very much welcome and at home and then he told us get comfortable with this because if you were on an expedition with me you would never eat like this Uh, according to him and you see the impact that this had in the finished project of Animal Kingdom. But going on an expedition with him is not a vacation. It's not, you're not just going to take pictures of pretty settings and look at animals and call it a day. It's work. It is hard, hard work from the minute that they have enough sun to gather pictures and information to the minute that sun goes down they're working. If you're going to eat your lunch, it's going to be a packed sandwich that you're eating in between taking shots. 
or in between sketching or in between getting details. And then once you've spent that entire day doing photo research and sketching and collecting as much information as you can, in order to go eat and unwind for the night, you're not just going to go sit down and camp and eat. He's going to take you and you guys are going to go find a local temple or any kind of event going on and you're going to essentially embed yourselves with the locals and you're going to learn about their culture you're going to learn far more than just how they decorate the place but why they do it the way they do it how they make everything what significance it holds to them and by the time you leave an expedition with him you're going to feel so you were a part of that community just as much as they are and you really see all of that authenticity come to life at Disney's Animal Kingdom, whether you're dealing with the African side of things or the Asian side of things or even the fantasy side of things over in Pandora. Every project that him and his team take on, they have a level of devotion, passion, and authenticity that bleeds through it once you get to appreciate it as a guest. So one of my questions was with all of these um, types of uh, ceremonies that he was going to, and they would show all these different, uh, different uh, pictures of ceremonies. Uh, I asked him, are these ceremonies that are open to the public or do you have to be invited to them? And he said, most of them are open to the public. Uh, you have to uh, dress the part. So you have to be able to, uh, buy the uh, appro- appropriate dress for deemed uh, necessary for that event. So that is one of the things that's always in the budget. Uh, aside from that, too, while going to these events, uh, they make a lot of friends with the locals and they let them know what's going on. And a lot of the locals, to share their, their culture, will invite him and his team to private ceremonies also. So he gets to have the best of both worlds on that and one of the really interesting ones that he was talking about was a rite of passage for young girls and it was a, a tooth filing ceremony where they um, stick a file into the girl's mouth and they file down their teeth into a certain shape which is considered uh, very attractive for this particular culture and the one thing that really kind of stuck out uh, that he really pointed out and this was not done for uh, his uh, benefit it was just talking about how uh, it was an east meets west idea of culture is the two girls that he was taking pictures of that this that were experiencing the ceremony were dressed in uh, very very traditional uh, ceremonial outfits on these uh, really ornate beds with these beautiful silks and all of this different uh, beading and uh, hand hand done uh, decorations but they were laying on pillows that had pillowcases that with mickey mouse on them yes <laughs> I, I remember him talking about that distinctly and i just thought that was that was extremely funny that despite everything can't escape the mouse can't escape everything and despite all of this very heavy traditional approach there's still some things that you just buy down at the store that 
serve a purpose. Yes. Uh, to, before before we get into the next thing, I also I now that it comes to mind, I also want to uh, point out another thing about Joe Rody. Uh, he wasn't your typical Disney cast member because Disney cast members wear name tags. He wasn't actually wearing a name tag. What really struck me about him was he did the entire presentation wearing a generic gray magic band. Mm-hmm. Did you? He struck up? me very much, very much as somebody that if he spends money on something to wear, it's not a matter of fashion or anything like that. And that is evident. I mean, in the earrings. If you've ever listened to him speak, for those that haven't heard him, the way that he got the stretched out earlobe and started doing the whole earrings was he would go visit a village or visit a tribe or visit a different culture and he'd be walking through their bazaar, their shop area, and he'd essentially pick one or two pieces of jewelry up and just stick it in his ear. And that's how it went from one to two to four to ten and eventually started to weigh down and stretch out his ear but that was his way of picking things up along the way that could reflect where he's been and what he's done without being over the top flashy expensive but not for any purpose anything that he seems to be wearing or doing seems to be very purpose driven yes as, as a person as a whole he seems very purpose driven he's not not trying to put off anything that he's not if he's doing something he's doing it very much for a reason and i think that's part of why he's been so successful because he doesn't get hung up in making things look a certain way he gets hung up in making things be a certain way (laughs) and on top of that he also said that that earring is another way of uh, for him to gain credibility with the locals because everybody always asks about the earring. They always want to know the story about behind the earring. So it's always a great conversation starter. And when he does start to tell those stories, people start to trust him. Right. Well, because it adds some humanity to him. And it shows that this is a person with quirks and with personality. It's not just some corporate shill who's trying to pump whatever money out of a situation that he can. And speaking of money, let's talk about how much some of these really ornate decorations actually cost Disney to buy for um, to decorate the park. Two, for example, are um, if you go into Kali River Rapids and you all know how I feel about that ride, so I haven't seen it in a very long time because I won't ride that ride without a poncho. Uh, in the on in the uh, in the queue, there's a huge painting, and also when you come off of Flight of Passage, where they sell all the banshees on the ceiling, there is another painting of uh, Pandora with all the all the uh, banshees on it, and this was uh, and in their natural habitat. And this is a uh, pa- these two paintings were done in the middle of the of the uh, rainforest in Bali. They were um, stretched on uh, ropes with canvas between a bunch of trees, and then a tarp put over them so that they wouldn't rain on them. And a local artist was doing these uh, paintings, and 
They probably cost Joe Rody about $90 each, which mm-hmm. when they quoted him that price, they were like, oh, you're, you're looking for something. You're looking at a really expensive price. It's going to be... Uh, they would give the, they would give the quote and it would come out to like ninety American. He'd be like, "I'll take it." And the artist that did both of these paintings, for instance, he want uh, Joe Rody wanted to uh, give him the best tools possible, so he went out to an art supply store and bought these really nice uh, sets of brushes and pastels and all. And the artist told uh, Joe Rody, "I'm sorry, I only work with professional professional tools." And proceeded to uh, do all of the work with uh, a bunch of uh, pieces of mashed up bamboo. Mm-hmm. He powdered out the reeds and and used just the flat parts of the stalk to brush it out. And he would have his own custom thickness and everything, which I think is part of why he was so committed to doing it his way. But it was so funny to hear Joe talk about he went through all this trouble to get him all of the the best that money could buy because again if he's going to spend money it's on purpose it's not just on the aesthetic and the guy just kind of looked at him funny and said no I need this and took some bamboo and went to town and you see two of the the nicest pieces of art in all of all of Disney World as a whole let alone Animal Kingdom have you you gone back and looked at them yet I've looked at the one in Flight of Passage. Yeah, me too. And it still blows my mind to think that that's the work of one person in a forest under a tarp, a couple days by himself with some bamboo and some paints. I've t- I mean, I've, re- I've rode Flight of Passage about three times since this uh, little uh, talk that we went to, and with different people each time. And everybody that I rode it with, I made it a point to take them over to that. Uh, to that painting, tell them the story, and of course uh, the last uh, the last two people that I took took with me to uh, see it were uh, two of my uh, Mickey dude co-host Tim and Joe, and of course they had to uh, point out they're like yeah this this poor guy did this great really pe- really great piece of artwork and look what they did they had to throw they had to throw sprinkler heads in the middle of it yeah. That is unfortunate. Yeah. That is very unfortunate. But I mean, even still, to think that... I think, ultimately, what's... I, I wouldn't even call it a, a travesty or a crime, because, obviously, the man is very happy living the life that he wants to live. But this is a beautiful piece of artwork that's looked upon by thousands, tens of thousands of people every day you see i don't know about that because it's on the ceiling i think a lot of people miss it that's the other thing i think i mean you do have a a possibility for that but even if 10 percent of the population that ride that ride get to see that how many people per day do you think are looking at that and don't know the depths that we know about it now that don't get to appreciate oh yeah that i mean it's it's like if you not to get too Marvel nerdy or anything, but it's like looking at Iron Man and not really realizing that Tony Stark built this in a cave. You know, it's the same concept. You don't have that same depth of appreciation because you don't know where it's been. You just see where it's at. It's and one of those things that, it, for all you know, it could have been done behind the Magic Kingdom in the central shops. 
it very well could have come just like all of the tiki products that we have at you know trader sam's and at the polynesian and over in disneyland and in the tiki rooms they all come out of oceanic arts in a warehouse in southern california and they're manufactured by the same group of guys and there's no no level of authenticity behind it and that kind of back to what we had been discussing before the show beyond just those two pieces there's so much authenticity in animal kingdom i mean he he had one artist do these but one thing that also blew me away was he when he talked about how most of the sculptures and the different artifacts that you see throughout disney's animal kingdom they're all hand carved and they come from the same same artists in bali and they're so meticulous about doing it the proper way to give it that life to give it that depth and that authenticity and it would really blow me away to see some kind of um like a plaque or a a way to let people know just how real what they're dealing with is that it's not this manufactured in a warehouse in you know middle america and it's actually pure stone that's carved that they yes. that they're bringing over. It's not it's not like this plastic stuff that's made to look like stone. This is pure stone that was out. Uh, one of the examples is they have like totem pole type uh, statues of Russell and Doug right outside of the, up the Great Bird Adventure. Mm-hmm. If any of you are in the park soon and you actually go to see that show and you see these you see these. Uh, you see, you see those two sculptures. That again, that was done in the middle of the forest in some hut in Bali. And even when you see a lot of the different buildings like Drinkwala and such, they have to be built up to obvious Southern Florida hurricane code. But all of the accent work, all of the finishing work. Oh yeah, I forgot taking, about this. Go ahead. They're taking pieces essentially from what would be the equivalent of a Lowe's or a Home Depot, but in Bali, and their handmade accent work and molding and such. I think he called it Balinese tchotchke. Yes, Yes. Balinese tchotchke. And basically, they're going into these shops, and they're buying up all of their inventory, bringing it back to America, building the shell of the, the buildings up to code, and then putting an entire facade of authentic work instead of recreating it back here. From the descriptions he was giving us, it really seemed like it cost them more to bring all of it back than it did to actually buy it from the Balinese people. Well, the whole town that they went in where they bought all that uh, accent work, they bought about $250 worth of accent work. And when th- those people thought they were millionaires when they came in. Absolutely. he was. It, and that's the thing. It's not that they're ripping off these people or anything they're really going in and supporting the businesses that they have and building these long-standing relationships because he keeps returning back there i mean the statues you had mentioned the doug and russell statues those were only put in last year he had to have commissioned those maybe at the earliest of 2016 and he's been working with these people on this park for the last decade and a half now 20 20 years even because animal kingdom just turned 20 last year so to think that 
he's essentially developed a uh, long-standing relationship with these people to create an aesthetic and continue working with it for 15, 20 years moving forward. That's a, that's a kind of working relationship that most companies die to have with a big client like this. One major thing that really sticks out about the Balinese people that he spoke on, and it's something that he had to say about every group of people that he has developed a relationship with, is just how welcoming and hospitable they were. And again, that really translated to the entire talk and the atmosphere he was trying to present of hospitality and welcoming. And it really made me feel like beyond just the working relationships, beyond what they've been able to do for him, that he truly appreciates these people for the people that they are, not just the things that they've been able to do. And that speaks on the genuineness that is Joe Rody, And that goes back to everything we've had to say about how he wins everyone over because he's a real person. He's not just trying to, to get the best money out of them. And uh, while we're at that, um, we're going to just uh, go to our next course meal. The way, it, the way he did it, it was actually... It was actually a six-course meal with an intermezzo in it and uh, two courses from each country. So I apologize. Yes. When I looked at it, I said Bolognese. I, I, I read it wrong. It said it should be Balinese fried noodles from the first one. But the second piece of... Uh, Balinese uh, meal we had was a fit was a fish dish. It was a seared tuna, bal uh, Balinese spices, pickled vegetables, dragon, and a, a dragon fruit uh, spread, and an Argentinian wine. And then he moved on to his stories of Mongolia, and. Um, this is one, one of the things that he talked about really stuck in my mind, but uh, before I go and tell my story about this one, Aaron, what did you pick up from, from Mongolia? From Mongolia, he one thing that he really spoke on, and again, like I was speaking with Bali, was the openness and welcoming of the people, but also how very much you were treated like a a local as soon as you were part of it there was less of the outsider winning them over side of things and he would talk about how as soon as you would walk up to a yurt you'd knock on the door and for those that don't know a yurt is like a very large semi-permanent tent it's built with a lot of insulation and with dividers in it so that you have separate rooms and they're meant to go up and stay up for long periods of time. It's not like camping overnight. So you would show up in someone's yurt, open the door, they would drop everything they were doing, greet you, make you tea, start feeding you, and treat you as though you were part of the family. It was no longer an outsider approach. The second that you needed anything, you got it. And it was a very interesting thing to to hear about people welcoming you into your into their home so quickly the other thing that really really stu stood out to me though was how um how much traveling he did in mongolia versus in bali 
he seemed to do more sightseeing, more crossing the grounds in Mongolia, whereas in Bali, it was very much artifact recovery. He'd go in, get with people, and design different artifacts that they needed to have fabricated, whether it's a sculpture or it was like the tchotchkes. And Mongolia, he did a lot more sightseeing, a lot more landscape work. That I, that's what I had gotten from his talks, at least. So he spoke a lot about covering ground in Mongolia and going from corners of the map to each other. That, that was really interesting to me. Excellent. And before we sell some stories from Mongolia, uh, would you um, tell us what we uh, ate in, that was uh, inspired by the Mongolian people? Yeah, so we had two different dishes from Mongolia. We had two from Bali and two from South Africa. The Balinese dishes happened to be the appetizers, but he went back and forth with Mongolian, South African, and then back to Mongolia and back to South Africa. So the first Mongolian dish we had were Mongolian dumplings, and they were a steamed dumpling with oxtail meat. And if you've ever had oxtail, it has to be very slow cooked. If you don't cook it properly, it can be very tough. But if you do it very slow, slow braise, you'll get a very tender, very delicious, juicy piece of meat. And that's what we got. We got some of the most tender, tender meat that I've ever had in my life wrapped up in this delicious dumpling and it's served alongside a tomato jam, which the three things don't sound like they'd go together very well, but something about them, they, they jived just right. It was also served alongside a Pinot Noir, and that red wine accompanied the savoriness of the meat alongside the acidity of the tomato jam perfectly. And then the other course? The other course that we had gone over was the Korkog, the, the Mongolian barbecue. And, and this was our main course, was, right? The, yes, this was our main course. This came out as the uh, the piece de resistance, if you will. They brought it out in a big steaming Dutch oven. And the way he had described it was probably the most fascinating of any of the foods. Because he really went into the Mongolian culture for this one. What we got was very different from what traditional Korkog or Mongolian barbecue would be. But it was inspired very much by it traditionally what you would have is a very messy meal and that doesn't translate well to a restaurant experience but what it was was it was lamb and it was slow cooked with a bunch of different vegetables and the way that they do it in a traditional setting is the mongolians were nomads so they would be moving across the land they'd be getting ready to move on to their next adventure and they would keep their livestock traveling with them. So they'd have their goats and their lambs and whatever they may have at that point in time moving with them. And as soon as they decide, all right, we're ready to eat them, that would be it. You would take that goat and they would slaughter it. And the way that they would cook it was they would clean it and they would take the skin and turn it into essentially a bag. And they would take a couple of stones out of their fire that had been burning 
for the last two days and take these glowing red hot stones alongside the cleaned meat and the vegetables that they wanted to use and the fats and they'd put it all in this bag and they'd sew up the the skin of the animal and then they would sling it over their horse and carry it for the rest of the day and the stones inside of that carcass would cook the meat until they got to their resting point where they would take it off go into their yurt open it up finish searing it over whatever hot you know whether it was over a fire or on a like a cast iron kind of pan finish searing it and this was the the most fascinating part that he had explained to me was they would take kind of the juices of it and dip their hands in it kind of like you would do with um with like paraffin wax to create kind of a covering or a glove for your hand and then they would use their hands to eat the meat and the the fat from the animal would create kind of a glove that would protect them from burning their hands. I thought that was just fascinating. It was supposed to be more of a community event. It wasn't just that you were cooking your dinner for yourself for the night, but you were feeding your whole traveling party. And it was a sense of accomplishment that you had put together all of this work to make this meal. And now after all of your travel, you're all sitting down to enjoy it. And there was so much more than just eating some really well-cooked lamb that I got out of that. Yeah, I was absolutely blown away by that. Just with his stories, I left with a whole new um, appreciation for the Mongolian people. Especially for the fact that they're able to live in two worlds at once. They mm -hmm. live in many... They're a nomadic tribe that lives much like their ancestors, but right. they also are very in tune with pop culture. And mm -hmm. they decorate their yurts. A lot of them were uh, into death metal, he said, for instance. Yes. And uh, all, of the, uh, all of the people of the tribe have cell phones, and these cell phones have otter boxes on them. Be yes. Because... Uh, they're out in a, they're they're out wandering in a lot of places there's no there's no cell signals but they still they do business with the outside world and they need to be able to communicate with them and every couple days they will take their horses and they will go up to the highest mountain that they can find and then they take their otter boxed cell phones turn them on and throw them as high as they can in the air because somewhere up in the atmosphere that they're flinging their phones into there's a there's a cell phone signal and they just fling the phone as hard as they can as high up as they can and while the phone is kind of just uh has its air time yeah have yeah, exactly has its air time just just flinging up and then dropping back down to earth it's picking up a signal and they're getting all their text messages and most of them are catching in and if they don't catch it they got the out of the box to keep it uh, safe and uh, Joe Rody had to do this also because he was out on a um, fact-finding mission for Animal Kingdom. And he needed to uh, communicate with Imagineering. And he went with them to uh, get his text messages, threw his phone all the way up in the air. And when he caught his phone, he had a message from Imagineering. Aaron, you want to tell our audience what that message uh, said? 
So Joe Rody had basically been on a mountain in Mongolia, just caught his phone, and just found out in that desolate area that the Pandora Project at Animal Kingdom had finally gotten the green light and they were ready to move forward on it. In Surrounded by nobody except the couple people he went out with to basically go catch some cell phone signal, he found this life-changing information out that changed the entire landscape of Animal Kingdom as we know it today. And that, that blew me away. I think everybody in that room, they either had this huge smile on their face or they had this look of pure euphoric shock when he was telling this story of how he found out. It puts a lot of things into, into perspective when you realize that even someone as powerful and as well-known as him, one, is finding out things as simply as getting a text message, things that are so massive. But two, that... You know, even Joe Rody has to go dig for some cell phone signal every now and then. It really, it put a lot of things into perspective, and it was a really fun, fun story for him to tell, because that moment meant so much to him, and you could tell when he was reliving it and discussing it how exciting it was of a moment for him, but how it was still... A simple text message he he didn't know that that was what was going to come through he may have been finding out that you know oh you know the dog got sick this morning the kids are doing all right everything's good how are you from his wife or something but no he got the green light of this project that he had been eager for for a long time that was the one that really uh, blew me away on his travels through uh, mongolia that and how they actually cooked the uh the, the uh, meal that we were having. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else that you uh, took away from Mongolia? From Mongolia? I mean, like you had said, them living in two different worlds at once, them having such an ancestral connection, but still living in modern times was fascinating. As I said, the uh, the hospitality of the people blew me away. And there was one story that he had told about how, just like other times, they had shown up at someone's yurt, walked in, and uh, the weather had just been atrocious outside. So the man of the house basically came in and said, you guys can't leave. It's too, too dangerous. My daughter-in-law, she'll inv- she will evacuate her yurt, and you'll stay there for the night. I totally forgot about this one. In. Yeah complete strangers they said no it's too dangerous for you guys to go tonight stay here we'll take care of you until the weather clears up and then you can go and it shows a very different type of culture because unfortunately i don't know that you would get the same kind of welcoming in most places here in america and and that's even speaking from people that you may know these were complete strangers and they treated him even better than most people would treat their family and that speaks a lot like I said about Joe Rody and his group of people to be genuine enough to win someone over like that that without any hesitation they'll invite them into their home 
as though they were family. Excellent. And you really, really see that come through in every... I, I can't say it enough, but in everything he does, he brings that same feeling of genuine humanity forward. Excellent. And since you were so eloquent with your explanation of the uh, I'm just going to wait for whatever that is is that the monorail? yeah it is the monorail I'm, and I'm moving as well right now out of the uh, way I should have said something I'm sorry There, uh, security was going by so I'm moving to the gas station right over here Ah, so for my listeners I'm not actually going to edit that out because that's just uh, pure magic right there Aaron is uh, doing this uh, interview with me from his cell phone, and he started off in the parking lot of the Polynesian. Uh, being a local, he spent the day in the parks on his day off, so he uh, graciously uh, bent time in his schedule to be able to talk to me to bring you guys all this uh, amazing stories that he's been able to re- relay with me, and uh, totally grateful for that. All right, so I am just parking right over at the Speedway by the TTA, and then we'll be back to back to action. All right, perfect. All right, so when you finally are parked, I would uh, like you to uh, tell our listeners about the South African part of the menu. Uh, you were so uh, eloquent with that while you're uh, getting while you're getting yourself uh, set up. I will say that there was a me- there was a uh, point where uh, we did cleanse our palates with an intermezzo, and it was a citrus serve. It was a uh, citrus sorbet. Think Batavia, Arak, whatever that is, candied lime, and and it, and blood orange, and it did the job. It was tasty. It did from that. It it was uh, that, that was before we had the lamb dish that uh, Aaron just spoke of, but uh, we did have another, um, I guess, appetizer from South Africa, and our uh, dessert was a South African dessert. Right, so the other the other appetizer that we had, I don't know, it was a little more than an appetizer, but a le- little less than an entree. Okay, yeah, but it was I agree. A, uh, it was an ostrich filet. Uh, alongside an ostrich boar wars, which if you're unfamiliar with boar wars, it's a style of sausage, almost similar to like a, a, a kielbasa or a different Polish sausage. Boar wars, though, had been made with ostrich alongside this filet. And the filet, if you've ever had to like a Pittsburgh filet where it's almost, almost raw on the inside, but seared on the outside to pack in all of the flavor... That's how they did this filet. They kept it from getting too tough. It was so tender that you could almost cut through it with the edge of your fork. It was just that tough outside from searing it. And then it was served alongside a duck fat aioli because ostrich is an extremely, extremely lean cut of meat. And that can lead to a little bit of a uh, something to be desired, if you will. And serving it alongside that duck fat aioli kind of was the missing piece to the puzzle. It added a little bit more savoriness to it, a little bit more umami flavor to it. 
that you couldn't find elsewhere. And I'm personally not a big duck fan, period. But I, I find it to be too greasy and gamey. But using that in such a way where it was just a little accompaniment to this otherwise decadent cut of meat, it, it was exquisite, would be the best way to put it. I, I can't think of a better way to put that. And then outside of that, we finished the entire experience with our dessert, which was also revisiting back to South Africa. And that was the malva pudding, which as he put it, malva really is just kind of a generic term for a sweet dessert. And pudding, pudding can be whatever pudding wants to be when you're, you're speaking with a, uh, a British approach to it. If you've ever had... Um, I'm trying to think of the term. A blood pudding or something. A blood pudding or even, um, I can't remember. It's a, uh, it's basically, it's a pastry with gravy. Um, and I know the term is pudding, but I can't remember. Is it a Yorkshire pudding? Yorkshire pudding. That's exactly what I was. Yorkshire. Yeah. Yorkshire pudding, which if you've had Yorkshire pudding, it's nothing. There's nothing pudding about it. It's gravy and pastry. But pudding can be used for interchangeably for any kind of a, uh, a pastry of sorts that you would. I'm, tr- I'm tripping over my words. I'm sorry. Um, no problem. I do that all the time use... here. <laughs> Basically, pudding is anything of that size and that uh that level of dish it's not something that you would have as your your main entree but it's an accompaniment it's something that's meant to improve upon the main dish that you're having so a malva pudding honestly it seemed like a very uh very fancy cake or almost a pastry it had a um like a peach sorbet or a peach puree scraped onto the bottom and it was served alongside just a very almost simple vanilla ice cream or vanilla sorbet, but that's all it really needed to accompany the flavor. The light fruit of the puree on the that was served on the plate and the lightness, airiness of the cake in the Malva pudding, it really was a great finisher for this entire experience. It was something that was light, and unfortunately, Joe had to leave right as we were finishing it. But it was a great way to put a stamp on an otherwise incredible experience. And that had a mango mousse and a crunchy honeycomb in it also. That's what it was. It was mango, not peach. I apologize. Yes, a mango not mousse. Not a problem. Mangoes and a, a, the honeycomb, which that extra little bit of honey really sat well with I don't want to use the term bland, but the less overpowering flavors. It was a good accent to go alongside of them. Awesome. Okay, so what really stood out to me when he was talking about South Africa was the uh, fact that he almost was uh, pretty much trampled to death by a bull elephant. Yes. That was... was so hearing him talk about a moment where he was not really sure what to do or in control and somebody else 
was really guiding them was fascinating because the whole time he's talking, he's in charge of his expeditions. He's in charge of his team. He is the guy. And then when he was talking about South Africa, we learned that this was actually on an expeditions with Disney. He was going... You mean as yeah, much as uh, he was Adventures by Disney. Ad, adventures by yes. Disney. Thank you. Yes. He was going as much as he was taking back information and he's the type of guy that's always working even when he's not. This was something that he had gone on in his time as a guest. And it was interesting to hear him change the point of view to that from being the boss in charge of things to I'm on an expedition and somebody else is guiding me. And in that, that moment, yeah, he talked about how they were on a safari and there was a bull elephant and it went from one bull elephant to a bunch of bull elephants. And the safari, the guide had uh, basically put the car in reverse and said, we're going to back up. We're going to do it calmly. We're going to do it slowly. And we're going to give them their space. And they just backed up for, he said it was probably about three, 400 feet at least. And you could just see them all starting to come out. And they got out of there and moved forward with the rest of their expedition. Didn't one of them charge, though? Did one of them charge? I feel like I might be confusing the story. I think, I think the one that I was thinking of, he did talk He did talk about that they did find a herd of bachelor elephants that he had to uh, keep away from. Um, mm-hmm. This was when he had gotten up out of his tent to go to the bathroom. and That's right. That's right. He I'm, came across a bull elephant who ended up starting ended up uh, was really showing uh, some signs of aggression and he was trying to like move out of the out of the way move aside and this elephant was not having it and this elephant was just about to begin his charge when some of the locals saw what was going on and rescued him that's right that's right and then wasn't one of his first um first reactions after the fact to sketch it yes and that's when he had discussed that as important as photography can be to get finite details and tiny details, sketching, he wa- he makes all of his, everyone on an expedition with him practice sketching. Even if you're bad at sketching, the idea behind it is not that you're creating a perfect rendition of it, but it's that you're taking in more information than your naked eye is going to perceive just by glancing at something you're forcing yourself to sit down and look at the details and how they interact with each other and to take that in and actually acknowledge it. And I thought that was fascinating. The, the approach that he has to it of we're not just here to see it. We're here to experience it. And that he recognizes that, it's about what you take away, not what you put forward necessarily. It's about the information you get out of sketching it. It's not about the information I get from looking at your sketch of it. And that, that was very interesting to me. That's a very different thought process that you don't see. A lot of times it's get all the information you can and bring it home and we'll, we'll evaluate it when we get there. Excellent. And speaking of sketches, 
You know how you always get at Tiffin's, you get a uh, sketch at the end of the meal that was drawn by Joe, Joe Rody? Mm-hmm. I went earlier in that day because it was Earth Day, so it was the 21st right. anniversary of Disney's Animal Kingdom, so hence that's why they were having the Tiffin Talks that day. And right before I went uh, to Tiffin's, I did the Up Close with Rhinos tour. Got to pet their one uh, male rhino, Dugan. And at the end of it, they gave us a small um, card with a sketch of the African white rhino on it. And I decided to use that as my uh, little souvenir because I asked uh, Mr. Odie, as I called him, when he came around to our table to greet us. Because uh, while we were mm-hmm. eating and when he stopped to take, he would literally stop, take a couple, take a break, take about four or five bites of his food. And then he went to each table and sat at each table and gave each table about five minutes of his time just having conversations with everybody at the table. So, uh, yes, I had asked he him. Definitely yeah, took pictures with definitely us. Made... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead. On. He definitely made everybody feel very, very much like their time was just as valuable as yes there wasn't anybody that he looked at and said i'll get back to you in a minute and never got back to and when he uh came up to me i asked i asked him to uh, sign my little card and earlier in the presentation i also geeked out because um i was wearing a pair of cargo shorts and my i didn't realize unbeknownst to me my cell phone fell out of my pocket and when i went when i shifted my weight i felt that un that unsettling unequal distribution of weight from my wallet in one pocket and what i should have had with my phone with its uh with its uh mophie on it the real the heavy weight of that when i didn't feel it i quickly grabbed the 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 side of my uh, pant leg and was kind of looking kind of just digging in my pocket to look to see if i found my phone and i kind of started fidgeting and he was right in front talking and he stopped and he said, sir, are you looking for your phone? And I'm like, yes. He's like, oh, because it's right here. And it was right on the floor. <laughs> he picked up my phone and handed yeah. me my phone. I'm like, oh, my God. Joe Rody just had Joe, Joe Rody was holding my cell phone. Yeah. And and it shows how perceptive he yes. is. That he's giving a talk. He notices that, doesn't get offended by it, hands it to you and goes back to everything he was doing yeah. without missing a beat. Exactly. He... He's very much paying attention, and but he realizes that as much as we're there, you know, for him, we're there for us too, and it's important to let your guests take pictures and to be able to geek out over things, and that's kind of what makes him so down to earth, is that he doesn't get offended by that kind of stuff. Yes, he is aware that, you know, yeah, you're geeking out over him, and that's okay. Take a breath do your thing and let's let's enjoy this moment and that i i can sit for hours and discuss how amazing he is with that with that in mind do you have anything else that you took from africa from south africa from africa it was um very much how and i shouldn't say necessarily from africa from the whole talk in general, but very much from the way he spoke about Africa. If anything that I got, it was that no matter what you go through in your life, you're always going to be able to find something that's going to make you go, wow. And 
for Joe Rohde, that was South Africa. A man that's done and seen things that most of us can only dream of. And he went on a vacation and still was wowed by it. And I think that says a lot about South Africa as a place. That says a lot about South, the South African people. But that says a lot about back to how we started this moving into everything with an open mind and keeping that same perspective in life. You can always be wowed by something if you leave yourself the opportunity to do so and you keep looking for something to wow you. So whether that's going to South Africa or trying an ostrich filet or going to Bali. Or drinking fermented mare milk. Or drinking fermented mare milk. Exactly. Or throwing your phone up in Mongolia to try and get a text message that your wife sent you a day and a half ago. If you're looking for something to wow you and you let yourself find it, it's out there. I think that's what I got the most from his whole talk, but especially listening to him talk about South Africa. And I know that unfortunately doesn't provide a lot of information about South Africa as a place. But that's what I took away from listening to him speak about South Africa. And that was absolutely awesome. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on and being able to uh, share with our listeners some of these stories because everything that you were saying, I, was, I had a whole bunch of things in my head all jumbled mm-hmm. up because I think the entire time I'm just star- sitting there staring at him like, I can't believe I'm here. I'm getting a whole bunch right. of the messages, but you were able to, you had a bigger takeaway in what you retained in that because I was between the wine being there and just the whole atmosphere. I was just like a kid in a candy store and it was, it was almost like uh, sensory overload at times. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I A lot of it is stuff that I took away from it, but I have to say that a lot of it is just reinforcing the, uh, the idea and the perception I had of him growing up. And I, I hearken back to what I said earlier. Everyone tells you don't meet your heroes. That's not true with Joe Rohde. I grew up admiring him and finally getting to sit and listen to him talk for, it was only supposed to be two hours. He spent an extra half hour with us. Yeah, and it was... He spent an extra half hour with us. He wasn't just in the room for an extra half hour, but he spent every minute of that filling it with more and more of his experiences and his journeys. And uh, it just it reinforced everything that I had, I had looked up to him for. And it's funny. I tell people, everyone that I know, I talk about, this experience with them and I'm like the only way I can put it to people who don't quite know or understand Joe Rody, like my less theme park friends is imagine knowing somebody in your life who their life was so exciting and they could speak so eloquently about it that they could get paid to give you their vacation slideshow and that's exactly what we did with yeah. Joe Rody. was we we paid him $250 to feed us and give us his vacation slideshow. And I, 
would have sat there for three times that and it was uh, worth amount of time just listening to it and it was worth every yeah, was wor- penny every penny and every second yep. like you know some people would struggle to spend two and a half hours sitting in a room listening to someone talk i didn't get enough yeah me too i wanted more and more and more well with that let's actually switch gears and are you ready to uh do a rapid fire Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have another special guest with us. So now we come to the point of the show where we pay tribute to the great Lightning McQueen in a little segment of six rapid fire questions we call the Piston Cup Challenge. Lightning McQueen is going to win the Piston Cup. Ka-chow. All right. So. Well, this is the first time I've done this without anybody here, so I really, I guess I can say, hey, Dave, start your engine. And time to floor it. Favorite park? Oh, favorite park has to be Epcot. I love everything that Joe's done with uh, Animal Kingdom, but Epcot, since I was a kid, something about it has just always struck a chord with me. Imagination, progress, and the World Showcase as a whole just really speak to me i i can't go any deeper than that i just have an irrational love for it awesome boat or monorail monorail you know the boat's a lot of fun but if the monorail's up and running especially in the heat i can't pass it up excellent favorite resort favorite resort now i've never actually stayed at this resort so if we're going just off aesthetics and being there, we could do back it. to where I spent most of my evening is the Polynesian. I spend more time than I probably should at Trader Sam's. I Same love here. tiki culture. I love everything about it. However, like I said, I haven't stayed there. A little, little pricey. If we're going just off of where I would book my vacation, though, Coronado Springs, time and time again, the best value for your dollar on property, hands down. Awesome. Favorite princess? Favorite princess? Moana's a chief's daughter, so she doesn't count. My girlfriend would kill me if I said anyone besides Snow White, but I have to go with Belle, actually. If I'm going to be honest and true to myself, I'm going to go with Belle. All right, and we're going to be coming down the home stretch now. Favorite spot in Disney Springs? Favorite spot in Disney Springs? Ooh. I probably spend the majority of my time at Disney Springs in the pin trading hut, but I really like just to hang out and people watch right by uh, where the Lime Garage gets out, right over by the Polite Pig. You've got Uniqlo right across the way. If I'm not quite sure what I'm doing or where I want to go at Disney Springs, I'll grab a drink and just hang out in that area by the fountain and see what's going on. People are coming and going, always in a rush, and I don't know, it's kind of central, so it lets me pick what I want to do from there. Awesome. And finally, checkered flag is in sight. Dole Whip or Citrus Swirl? Oh, Dole Whip, hands down. I was hoping you would say that since you spent the whole day at the Poly. Yeah, that's not even a question. Thank you. You see, some of our co-hosts, we we go back and forth about this, and uh, 
I don't understand how they like that vile slop, but we... I can't say that the citrus swirl is bad, but, you know, I don't see very much difference between that and getting frozen concentrated orange juice at the supermarket. Exactly. Thank you. Where am I going to get a, a Dole Whip? That's... And don't tell me any of these other places that in the last two or three years have started passing off Dole Whip. Oh, uh, it's, it's, it's a sacrilege. It's never, yeah, yeah. it's not real Dole Whip unless you're getting it on Disney property. I'm sorry. There's I was at the Ohio State Fair and they were selling Dole Whip. I'm like, this is just not right. It wasn't Dole Whip. No, and it, I it could be the, the same recipe or what have you, but it's not Dole Whip if I... I'm not eating it at Disney. I'm sorry. I'm going, just to, I'm going to disagree with it. one part of that. If I'm if I'm in Hawaii at the Dole Plantation, I gotta gotta give okay. it to that too. Yeah, I don't think you're gonna get a more authentic Dole Whip than that. But aside from that one one very very specific exception, I think the only two places that you're really gonna find Dole Whip are in Anaheim and. Orange County, Florida. Yep. And uh, on a side note with that, have you tried the Hey Hey yeah. Cone yet? I have not tried the Hey Hey Cone. It's not that I don't want to try it. It's just that I've not been in the right place at the right time to get the Hey Hey gotcha. Cone, unfortunately. It is, um, it is one of my favorites. I wish that they would make that a regular thing. You know, we can hope. The one thing that I do like about Dole Whip, though, that you don't get elsewhere as well, is uh, have you gotten to try over at Epcot or in Animal Kingdom the spiked Dole Whip or the spiky pineapple over at uh, Polynesia? You see, I usually just do it as the spiky pineapple over at, on yeah. the, um, I guess, the lanai at the, no, no, not pineapple lanai, the, the terrace at, at Trader Sam's, the outside part. Yeah, they've got it at the, uh, the Tiki Terrace at Trader Sam's. And I mean, you can, if you're inside and you ask for it and they're not busy, they'll go get it for you as long as it's open and running. They don't have a problem doing that, but it's on the menu at Tiki Terrace. But I was reading today, apparently the ones in um, Epcot and in Animal Kingdom are different from each other. One uses a coconut rum. Yes, and one uses a spice rum. Yes, the other uses a dark spice rum. So... And I think one of them. What I'm seeing it is there are three different types of. I th- I think one of them the does one of them does like an infusion, where the other ones are yes. just a float of the rum. Right. Yeah. One's kind of blended with it, and the other is just floated right on top of it. But the more we talk about it, it makes me wonder what kind of potential they're missing out on with their Dole Whip here, because there's a lot that they could do. I do have to say uh, the different the different uh, flavor Dole Whips now that are coming out. You know, I love the pineapple, but uh, I'm going to be there uh, next week uh, actually on a business trip. And mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to going to uh, Pineapple and I and having the Heart of Tafiti cone that they have, which is yeah. all the – it's a lime Dole Whip. Well, you know, the one thing that I have to give them credit for is they are – definitely stepping up their presentation on all of these desserts yes. and they're really I don't I don't think that every character needs to be forced down every single possible spot 
in the parks, but this is definitely the way to go. They can continue making character-based desserts and selling them all day because it's great. It's great for the Instagrams and the vlogs. It's great for just bringing some character recognition into the parks. And like I said, it's not that I don't want to try these. I'm just never at the right place at the right time. They either sell out of it or I'm not there when it's going on. And uh, all I can say is it's driving people to go try oh, yeah. the different desserts. Same thing like when they add the new cupcakes and they spread them out at different different resorts and it's just basically uh, giving locals and the uh, tourists in the know a reason to go visit these other res resorts too to have some of these uh, new uh, cupcakes. I did have uh, for instance over at uh, Artist Palette at uh, Saratoga Springs the Orange Bird Cupcake. Yes, the, uh, the Orange Bird Cupcake. That was one that I Again, I missed out on, unfortunately, but I was really looking forward to trying. It's still available um, if you are getting back to property anytime. It? Yeah, because I got it last week, or like actually two weeks okay. ago, because I was back. I was back uh, two weeks ago. Okay, I may have to to see what I can do. I think the next day that I'll be back on property might be Monday or Tuesday next week. So if it's still available, I'll have to go for one. Most of they did. Um, they did all the different. 90th birthday cupcakes as well yes. that were just it's a very simple idea they don't have to make a ton of product that's going to sit and get wasted but they're able to take existing product and spice it up just enough to drive people for it I think it's an amazing business idea and it most certainly I'd is. love to continue continue working with it all right and aaron speaking of, of vlogs and instagram uh would you mind telling our listeners uh, where you could be found out in social media so i'm not the most active on social media you're not going to find me on youtube or anything but i do have an instagram it's the captain c-a-p-n 673 that's where you'll find me all day on instagram um I like to post pictures from my time at the parks. I like to post all kinds of different little hidden things that you're not going to catch throughout the parks that, as Joe always puts it, everything has a purpose. Everything's done with a reason. And I think it's fascinating to find things that go otherwise unnoticed. Awesome. And ladies and gentlemen, you can find me on Twitter and in and on Instagram at Figments Reality. You can find me on Facebook under Dave Koch. You can find the Mickey Dudes on Facebook under our fan page. You can find us on Twitter at the Mickey Dudes and on Instagram at the Mickey Dudes Podcast. Well, Aaron, this was the most enjoyable interview I've done in a very long time. So uh, I'm going to actually put this up there with the uh, interview that we did a couple of years ago with Bob Gerd, the creator of um, the uh, Walt Disney World monorail, because we got to talk about another m amazing Disney legend. And you told some amazing stories, very eloquent and uh, very eloquent in your delivery and everything. And I kind of felt like it was Joe was with us in spirit tonight. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you very much for having me on. I, it was a blast being on here. I'm happy to be able to talk about Disney, all things Disney, and about Joe and everything that we got to experience. And I'm always happy to come on and talk if you ever want to have me on again. You are most welcome to come back at any time you'd like. Uh, same with any of our listeners. You have an idea for a show? Tweet us. Hit me a message. Let me know what you want to do and come on. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I thank Aaron again. Thank you again for having me on, Dave. It was a, my pleasure. And like I said, anytime in the future, just let me know. You're welcome. And to our listeners, may your day be supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Have a magical day. listen to another exciting episode at the mickey dudes podcast you can find the mickey dudes on facebook at the mickey dudes podcast and on twitter at the mickey dudes if you enjoyed our podcast please share the love on stitcher or itunes thank you for tuning in and we'll see you again real soon